If you are leading change, building a team, or implementing new procedures, Gonzaga University's online Master's in Organizational Leadership gives you the tools for success. With concentrations in change, global, and servant leadership, you'll get the most relevant training and education to help you tackle any challenge. Visit gonzaga.edu leader and find out how Gonzaga's organizational leadership degree can affect positive change in your life and career. That's gonzaga.edu leader. Hi, I'm Rain. And I'm Summer. And you're listening to Launch Left, the space for fame creatives to launch the next wave of music rebels, an intentional space to highlight and empower all artists for whom radical creativity is not a choice, but a necessity. Today's guest, a most radical, creative, more influential, alternative artist, and I think um, history will will be kind to Miss Jenny Beth. We're so lucky to have her on this show. She's not only an amazing musician um, and music historian, as as how I would call her, but also a uh, an actor and a writer and just a fevered creative, an unapologetic fevered creative, which is a launch left favorite kind of artist. So it's with extreme pleasure that we um, sit down with her today and have a conversation. We're happy to have her. Hello. Hi. (laughs) Hi. Can you hear me? Yes. Good. It's such a pleasure to have you on our show. Really. Thanks for having me. Yeah, big fan of yours. Um, been following you and just really uh, heard your record, and it's so, it's so great. It's like a journey, you know. Yeah. Love your feisty, fiery, fevered, unapologetic, creative. I'm grateful that you came on our show to talk a little bit about art and music. Well, I'm really happy to be here. Thank you for having me. It's a pleasure. <laughs> you, you do your own show, right? You have your own radio show. Um, I actually have a couple. I mean, I do I do a radio show on Apple Music um, called Start Making Sense. I've been, uh, I did it nonstop for two years. Then I stopped a bit to finish the record. And then I just started again, actually. I'm on episode 128. So, um, And then um, I started a TV show as well. Uh, this year it's in France and Germany. Um, it's, on, it's for TV. It's a music TV show where I invite like, free artists uh, to perform and, and to do a group discussion all together. It's called uh, Echoes with Jenny Beth. So, do you yeah. think we can get that here somehow? Or is that only if you're overseas? Yeah, no, it's available on YouTube worldwide. So, oh, cool. yeah. So yeah. the first episode is out, and then the second one is uh, very soon. It's on the first of May. So. Oh, fantastic! Okay, I'll check yeah. it out. And I really liked episode one twenty-seven, the exquisite corpse idea. What that's. Oh yeah. Really great. Yeah. Thank you. Hearing from artists at home um, during this time, and I love the varied way that people approach that, which as artists do, right? <laughs> yeah, I know. Some are very funny and yeah. uh, some are very cryptic. <laughs> yeah. It's really uh, I, like, I like, yeah, I like the weirdness of that. The you sh- do a lot of collaborations a lot with both men and women. Do you mm-hmm. find um, one, I mean, are the differences between those collaborations with men and women 
can you is can you pinpoint them being very different because of the genders? Not really. Um, not really. The only thing I would say about gender and collaboration is that I found that when you're a woman, um, girl power is often perceived as a woman who doesn't collaborate but does everything herself. And it seems to me that often um, for women it's seen, it's seen as a weakness, you know, to have uh, done a track with a lot of people, for example. And if she's um, written, used to self recorded herself, suddenly that's girl power, you know, you know. and, um, and for a man, I feel that if he's collaborating means he's, he has influence and he's strong and, you know, um, and so I still feel sometimes that um, there's this sort of um, idea that a strong woman shouldn't be doing a track with, uh, for example, you know, five or six other men <laughs> and that's perceived as a weakness. Um, for example, I just released a track called Innocence and, uh, when I posted it on my Instagram, I, I like to list the credits and I like to say who I collaborated with to make the, the, the track. And someone posted, oh, um, my girlfriend, she, she released the track, but she did, all the, her, she did it all by herself. As if, you know, um, sort of insinuating that it was kind of stronger for a woman. And I, I, I just feel that's a little bit strange to me. <laughs> Um, especially, I mean, for me for this record is definitely a collaborative record. Um, I, I, I love, and I, you know, I love talking to artists and I love their energy and I love to know their process. And from those conversations, often uh, collaborations happen because we start talking and then we understand more about how each other work and then it's sort of a natural step after to want to collaborate and work together. Um, so that's probably why I did the TV show and the radio shows because I love talking to artists and I love hearing them. It makes me happy, happier. <laughs> it gives me hope. <laughs> Yeah. I think you know that. <laughs> yeah, I love it too. I think it's so, it's so, and it's so evident because of the way that you speak to and about artists that it's, it's, mm. it's actually a passion project and not mm. something you're just doing. Do you know what I mean? That it's something you, you want to do. I, I think it's definitely in my DNA is I grew up in a house where uh, my parents used to have a lot of artists uh, in, in, at home coming in and out and my parents were um, in, into theater and my dad was a theater director and a drama teacher and all through the year there would be like writers or actors or people working in tv or theater who were just staying a few days or um and often i would sit as a child i would sit at the dinner table and hear all those conversations and i think you just it's part of, I, I, I don't know, it's part of who I am. I just, I'm used to it and I, I feel uh, more reassured and <laughs> at home when I am surrounded and I hear what artists have to say. Because they're, you know, they're outsiders. They're people who think differently and see things differently. And, and, um, and I, I feel um, I need that. I need to hear those, uh, those different narratives, you know. Do you take those different narratives on as um, in your lyrics as you're writing? Do you write from different perspectives? I'm dying to know from your new record what uh, what perspective 
you're mm. singing about in I'm a Man. Is that the name of the yeah. track? Mm. Um, yeah, I, I do like to, um, especially on this record, um, I think I, um, I wanted to embody different characters. And um, although it sounds a bit, um, I don't know if it sounds like I want to hear the track when I say that, you know, if I was someone listening to this conversation. It's not exactly characters, because I think they are parts of me. Um, I think the, the thing that I realized and I wanted to put forward into this record is that human beings are complex beings and and I feel that I am layer of different personalities I'm not just one thing and I also want to be seen as one thing but I think it's like a, a different um uh, it's just I like art that reflects the complexity of who we are and and it's not exactly pop culture in that sense because I think pop culture is trying to make things a bit more simple and easy to grasp and um and I'm attracted to um, films or novels or who who show me or TV series or you know um, that show me uh, characters who are sometimes uh, contradicting themselves and uh, not not necessarily one um, just they have several faces and I think I have several faces and I think when I was doing uh, writing this record I was I think a bit depressed <laughs> um, as we go through things like that. Um, and I think I was just um, obsessed with my own um, um, defaults, you know. Um, I was I couldn't find any qualities, and and I was. But then I I, I thought I'm just going to take my bad sides and put them in the front, you know, and in a way maybe exercise them. <laughs> and and when people you know, I heard like, oh, um, this person is evil, this person is bad, this is a bad person, or this is a bad, I don't know, politician, or it's a bad, I don't know. I just felt I needed to take on that, um, that, um, that evil side and just apply it to me, like I am that person. <laughs> it's strange, but I don't know. I just felt he's human, I'm human, we're part of the same species, she's human, or... I, I think as an artist, I have difficulties to just um, to draw a line and to present myself as uh, being on the side of good and nice people. I think I, I need to wear the mask of evil and I need to um, see how it feels like. Um, maybe uh, it's just a phase and I'm, uh, <laughs> after this record, I'll... I'll I'll, I'll come to a different sort of perspective. I think for this record, and I still haven't figured out exactly why I think um, I needed to do that. Well, I like it because to me, uh, I think what you were talking about is equanimity, which is, you mm. know, believing, like not, not being so polarized or so, so much duality in the way that you see the world, you know, understanding that each person has perhaps a core goodness right even the most evil if you get yeah. down to it so so giving them a face and a name but it from a place um as an mm. artist where there's safety there's enough safety to be dangerous do you know what i mean like there's enough exactly to, to do that because you're just expressing yourself it's not mm. you're not actually being you're evil, right you know? It's actually, I really consciously actually thought, um, how far can I put this, you know, before people are offended or people 
I just, you know, and actually it's not that offending because it's art. And I realized that it was safe. And the same way um, I could, you know, on stage to pull up my shirt and being, you know, over out of character compared to who I am in the real life. Um, I, I just felt it's safe if you want to, you know, express this horrible, shameful ideas <laughs> that you have sometimes at night. Um, it's art, you're allowed to. Uh, activism and art should respect each other for what they are and they both have um they both have um, a purpose into the world and they both have an action it's probably similar but it's acting on different sort of territories i think art is the land of the imagination and i think there's a lot of things we can change in human beings by by capturing their imagination yeah, yeah. but uh, don't you think that art is a Art is a catalyst a lot of times for activism and or to me, certain art is activism. Like it is showing, it's illuminating through the creative, you know, things that we're struggling with culturally that we, you know, things we feel strongly about that upset us mm -hmm. or make us happy. Mm -hmm. You know, art is a way to talk about it in a poetic way. And I think for a lot of artists, mm -hmm. that is how they talk about activism is through their work you know, how they talk about the things they yeah. feel are unjust and unkind um, through their mm -hmm. work. I could sometimes not like someone else's art because I don't like them as a person. <laughs> you know? I think that has an impact on me sometimes. Yeah. Um, I don't know if the opposite is true. <laughs> if I like someone, I like their art necessarily. Um, but... Um, but I think it's the same as love. I think love is, doesn't really have rules, doesn't it? If sometimes um, in life we, we love people who do horrible things, you know, um, and we cannot really um, stop that feeling. So um, maybe there's something similar there. <laughs> yeah. In not being able to stop that feeling, would you think it was um, truthful to say that you can't choose who you love? Okay, actually, I, I, I'm, I, I define my version of love as post-romantic in the sense of uh, I, I, even as a teenager or as a child, I never really um, believed in love at first sight or um, in love as something that was falling from the sky that you had no control over. And in a way that when that happened to me, when I um, was overtaken, you know, by a feeling, I would, uh, in my life, I've always run away from it. <laughs> um, I know that might sound really weird, but um, I've always appreciated it, but also felt that it was not truth. That suddenly it was something that was taking over and I wasn't really um, acting upon it. And I do believe that love is something you can learn, uh, and 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 um, and actually frustrations often come from the fact that um, we um, we are told uh, love is a certain thing, um, you know, um, with concepts of family and monogamy and and a lot. Of of other things and, um, which we define as love as a society and 
And I think uh, uh, frustration sometimes comes from the fact that our reality doesn't match with image. And, 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 and we, you know, and then I think we, we are not really pushed to, uh, I think in, in society to, um, we're not really told that we need to work, you know, on, on those things. And, um, and I, I, I always felt that, um, love is the sentiment that, um, goes away and comes back. Um, that it's not something that, um, falls from the sky. Yeah. That is, um, um, yeah. So it, it I say post romantic and I think because it, it's, um, trying to view love beyond those um, ancestral codes uh, and the way we view relationships. And I wrote a book kind of about that, inspired by that, by that um, which is coming out this summer called Calm, Crimes Against Love Memories. Where the idea is to bring and to show, uh, present alternatives. It's not really to tell people what to do because everybody's different, but it's more to, to you know, present it's through the you know through the imagination and fantasies and sexual fantasies but also it's uh, talking about jealousy or you know all these sort of byproducts of love that we don't really know what to do with <laughs> more like a philosophy or or uh, erotica or is it a kind of hybrid or, or is there is it not philosophizing at all I think it's a hybrid, although I feel still a bit shy to call it philosophical. Um, but uh, there's some erotica in it. But I think it's um, a friend of mine actually told me the other day that she liked the stories because they were either showing a lot or not showing at all. Huh. Uh, you know, but there was this sort of because um, there are some stories which are very graphic and some are more conversational between not conversational in the writing about a more a conversation between um, two lovers who wandering or going on a sort of a journey to understand their own jealousy and how to defeat it. Um, so that's not exactly erotica, but I feel it's part of um, the same world of, you know, of, um, you know, the way we use our bodies and our, our feelings and share, you know. Um, so I think that it's across. Yeah. I'm honest. <laughs> you um, prolific. You do so much in art. You do so many kinds of art. So it's wonderful. Yeah, I think it's because I, I, I you know, I don't have children. I don't. Um, my partner Johnny Hostile is my first collaborator, and we just um, never really stop. Like I, I just sometimes I have to stop and just think if that is normal, you know, I'm wondering sometimes, do people spend their whole Sundays filming micro their hands? I mean, you know, <laughs> like, just, is that, is that what people do? Or are we completely fucked up? Um, um, I don't know. Um, but it's, it's just, um, it's just sort of a habit. And I think, especially in times like now, um, whenever there's a crisis or a, a defeat or, a failure um creating is sort of the answer isn't it um yeah and um you know um there was actually one of the you know on you, you talked about those sentences i i asked uh, artists and musicians to send me for my radio show there was one i really loved which was from Gemma thompson the guitarist of savages and she said um 
um, I'm going to rephrase her really badly, but she said, uh, pay attention to the hand on the portrait because she's a painter, you know. Yeah. And I thought that was a really lovely sentence in a way, like pay attention to the hand on the portrait because that's kind of a solution in itself. It's like if you struggling with anxiety and suddenly concentrating on details of your work, it will calm you down. It will defeat the anxiety. Yeah, that's just such a good get to that place. Yeah, it's a total um, exercise in being in the moment, you know? That, that's how I interpreted yeah. that. Focusing on the actual hand that is painting yeah. the portrait, which is in the very moment, right? And that is not the definition of happiness, you know? Yeah. Being, being in the moment. There's no past, there's no future. Yeah. I also really like, there was a quote, I don't forget who, who said it, and I'm paraphrasing as well, but, you know, to the artists who are creating, allowing your creative to ebb and flow, that sometimes you're idle and sometimes you're active in the yeah. creative, you know, because I think for, I know for yeah. some of my friends, they almost have this like guilty feeling of not creating if they're not doing yeah. anything. Like I've been really, I haven't had weekends free. That's how kind of... If, dervish crazy <laughs> i felt but for some of my friends it's like they haven't felt that inspiration you know no, so yeah. super creative and that's okay too and i forget who said it was like the third quote you read um and it was a, a, a maybe oh maybe no i don't know if it was the primal scream guy but someone said basically like you know you have to be it's okay to be both ferocious and calm in your creative during this time you just yeah. kind of gave license to that and I thought that was really important for people to hear. Ah, uh, yeah. I think I heard from a lot of my artist friends, and they couldn't really um, find any inspiration during the beginning of you know the confinement. And I I agree. I mean, I felt quite similar. I actually started. Um, I couldn't write anything, so I started writing a page every night before sleeping. You know, something that it stream of consciousness doesn't doesn't ask me much but just to state what happened in my day <laughs> and and just stay very basic and and that kind of got me back into it um it's little things and, and sometimes cleaning your room is more important than than actually sitting at your desk and trying to write something <laughs> you know um so it's it's your inspiration is like um, a person i often think of um, the artist inside me as a person that you need to entertain that you need to uh, feed you know and, and if you scare him or her too much you just go and hide so you have to be like oh watch that little film look it's, oh it's interesting look, look at that color of the sky oh that's interesting and so the artist is like oh that's good and start to feel confident in coming out and being a little bit more you know so it's a bit like luring someone you know like a fragile or wild animal <laughs> that's how i imagine uh, the artist inside of me um i i actually have this um bad tendency to 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 think really quickly about what i want to do with something creative and i think i have to hold back uh, and um, it's kind of a um it's something I've, I've learned to try to stop myself doing too soon because i think once you're trying to um 
when you want to find closure, you know, it's like finding closure and it, it needs your closure in a way. You know, if you're trying to find a place to put it straight away, you sort of kill it as well. Well, there's the, there's the risk that you're going to kill it. Uh, and I, I, I had that thing with the book, um, Calm, because it's a collaboration with Johnny Hustar, my partner, who started photography when we moved to Paris three years ago. Um, after 12 years in London, we moved to Paris and he started photography and his work was so great and he was so inspiring for me. Um, and he was about sexuality and he was, it was with friends and it was, it was like this sort of, it became our sort of everyday life. And I, I immediately was like, when are you going to do book? <laughs> you know, I could see the book. And then in a way I had to stop thinking like that. Cause when you do that, you just sort of, um, you're not just in the moment obviously you're thinking of the future and you can kill the joy of just being in the creative process and i think johnny hostile for instance uh, has is really not like that he's happy to create forever with no output you talked about inhabiting characters for your new record and i wondered uh, it, you know, because you go by a, a pseudonym, correct? And I'm assuming that Johnny Hostel's real name is not Johnny Hostel. Yes. <laughs> do, you, do you, by, you know, sort of changing your names, do you, is that like the first skin, the first dawning of the first character as artist? Say? Yeah, yeah. Our names came from when we moved to London. Uh, I was 20, 21, um, and we had a project together, a band called John and Jen. And uh, in London, when we used to go to venues to perform, um, people would call us John and Jen. And if I tried to tell them my real French name, they'd be like struggling with pronunciation. So it was so easier for them to call me Jen. So I became Jen and Jenny, Jen, Johnny, and we, we became John and Jen. And then we both chose our second name you know i think mine was just trying, trying to create my facebook account and just quickly coming up with something <laughs> it's not very glamorous uh, but um but i think you're right i think that the change of name was for me so important because i especially at that time less now but at the time i was sort of um drawing a sort of a clear line with my past and my childhood and my teenage years and i wanted to completely forget that i was french uh, I even lost my French at that point. When I was coming back to France, I was struggling with speaking French in wow. shops. <laughs> or oh, I would speak with an English accent because I so wanted to become someone else. It's, I don't know, it was like, um, and English has always been, um, I learned it when I was eight years old. When I was, um, I had a teacher who taught me how to sing jazz standards. And that's how I learned English, that, by singing. So I never sang in French. And, and I don't know, English sort of, um, it became a language for another personality. You know, a language is the, you shape the word with language, right? And so who I became when I spoke English was totally new. And I could mold it the way I wanted to. And then I could take, you know, I would hear my favorite actor, my favorite singer speak, and then I would pick up something. You know, so it was like, so almost like creating a character. 
uh, and and free of my education free of my conditioning free of my past free of my parents inheritance you know and 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 i i think as an artist you sort of have to kill mother and father you know you have to I think it's Baudelaire who said that, actually, the French poet who said uh, an artist doesn't have any mother or father. Because um, if, you, if you, now, now for, with this record, um, I re, re, reclaimed my inheritance. I, I reclaimed my roots. I, you know, I wrote a song called French Countryside. I, it was about coming back to France, so I, we moved to Paris. And it was about, I, w I felt unhappy because I felt that my artistic identity, which I had spent years to build, and who I was as a French person, a French girl, when I moved first to London, I had no connection between the two. I had no way of making them interact. I had no way, I couldn't speak in interviews about my parents, my family. I felt ashamed. I felt disconnected and disjointed that way. And so I went to therapy and I was trying to reconnect all the sort of patchwork of, of life and trying to make them more connected. And I was so, I remember being quite um, um, envious of artists who in interviews could say, my father was this, my mother was this, like it felt strong and rooted, and, you know, and, and I was like, why, why do I, why do I, you know, why did I wipe that up completely? <laughs> And um, yeah, so, so I feel better now. <laughs> I'm wondering, I guess, that with this record, you said that you sort of were able to make that connection again. And do you feel at all that, that with this record, you're sort of taking responsibility for who, not only where you come from and who you, who you come from, but who you've become? Yes, responsibility is a good word. Um, I think, I don't know where I'm going with this, but it makes me think of how, when I started writing lyrics for this record, one of the first lyrics that I was encircling was, I'm not responsible. <laughs> and there was this, this um, I felt really disconnected with a world that was going bad and wrong and mad. And, and I wanted to say, I'm not responsible. And I wanted to get that off my sh shoulders and be like, I'm not, in I'm not involved, I'm not responsible. And I think that was the start, but the journey was actually to find back the responsibility, I think. Mm -hmm. uh, and the way you just said it, it's, it's true. It's, it's um, assuming um, the idea that you can't be everything at the same time, you know, in a way you are defined by some things. And uh, for years, I didn't want to be defined by anything. But actually, I think that being defined as an artist is the way to start building, you know. Uh, um, uh, yeah. With that, um, you ever consider uh, singing in French? I have considered it, but I can't. I mean, I've tried and it's appalling. <laughs> it's, uh, it's really bad. I mean... Um, <laughs> I think I've sung, like, when I was a child, I would sing, Jean, do you know Jeanne Morrow, the, the actress? Yeah. yeah. So she released a really incredible record. Um, one of the songs was in Jules and Jean, uh, that incredible movie. Um, uh, and that would be, 
what I would sing as a child in French, you know. But um, but no, I I can't really see myself for now. I, I don't. Maybe you could redo that song and you know, just yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. That's one you like and you used to sing, so maybe it would like bridge the gap of childhood and singing in French at the same time and just like maybe break away some of whatever's yeah keeping you from it's, it, you know? It's, Jeanne Moreau has been such a, a huge influence for me when I was a kid. I mean, um, Elevator to the Gallows was one of my favorite films uh, with music by Miles Davis. And I was heavily in jazz and, and that sort of film noir um, atmosphere. And uh, I remember a few years ago, like a couple of years ago, um, I came back to Paris and then I was asked to act, act in a movie and uh, I hadn't done films for like more than 10 years and the first day of shooting um, I was on set and um, I was with the actress uh, Virginia Fira and uh, suddenly we're about to say action it's the first first line I'm gonna say and then she's like oh someone texted me Jan Moraz died and it was for me like, oh, this, this is a sign. <laughs> this is really strange. Like my actress hero from when I was a kid just died or the announcement just came as I was about to just act in this movie. It was, it was such a strange moment uh, for me. You said it was a sign. What do you think it was a sign of? Maybe it was like, I don't know, that... Um, but it, that it was sort of a cycle. Mm. I like spirals, you know, and I like, it, was, it just took me back to when I was a child. It took me straight back to me watching this movie with her in it and, and, and suddenly whoosh, he did that sort of time travel thing and then came back and I was in that moment acting in a movie and it felt very sci-fi <laughs> you seem to like get into the skin of the of the music and that's really um I, I don't know maybe that has something to do i don't want to put words words in your mouth but maybe that has something to do with the way you were raised to love that kind of in-depth maybe art i don't know yeah i mean maybe i think i've i've, I've also realized that um that if you don't try to understand the process of artists then you can't really be at their level or create something that is because if you're just a fan and you're just um oh, such a fan i can't believe what they're releasing it's always great it's you know but if you don't understand how they do it or how they got there and your art is never gonna be as good and you're never gonna evolve and you're never gonna change the way you do things and and never learn you have to be interested in what's happening behind the curtains you know, in a way. Mm -hmm. um, and maybe, yes, growing up and seeing my dad directing and all the actors rehearsing and seeing all the background work before actually seeing the results, um, then maybe that what, that's what maybe got me interested in the... Can I ask you how music found you? Yeah, I mean, I don't know. I think I was uh, constantly playing the piano uh, when I was a kid um and then my parents finally uh, found me like this incredible teacher who was um 
sort of half Spanish, half French, and he he was um, sort of multi-instrumentalist and he could play Gregorian music and jazz and could write all sorts of music and it was fascinating and it was called Manuel Gonzalez, classic Spanish name. And um, and every Saturday, me and my sister would spend an afternoon with him and his wife and they would feed us and then we would play the piano, learn how to play the piano. And then I would sit next to him and he would play the piano and I would sing like all the jazz standards and, you know, um, Wittry or, I don't know, like all the classics, Porgy and Bess. And, um, I have a really great memory of that. And that was actually a time when singing was... Um, completely stress-free and 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 uh, and free and, and I wouldn't even think about it. I'd just sing, you know. And and I remember her, his wife was saying, I, "I used to sing with a very quiet voice," and she used to say, "You're a little Chate Becker," because um, my voice was very quiet. And then when I did drama school, there was this sort of opera opera um, sort of class that I had to go. It was compulsory and then suddenly I realized I had a massive voice and I you know I didn't know um I remember like the teacher teaching me Figaro and then she was like your voice can conquer the world <laughs> I remember she said that and I had no idea I was like really and um and I was it really for the training and then um I had my first band was a jazz band with two of my girlfriends and double bass piano and me singing and uh we did our first gig and it was the most biggest failure <laughs> i wanted to go as david bowie and i went with wings and but it was really not the style of music <laughs> you know so it was bad um so i quit after that and then i was desperate to create my own rock band and i was learning bass and I wanted to have a rock band, um, but no one would create a band with me. So I went for university, studied English and so on until drama school. And then I met John Hustle and we started making music together. Uh, but yeah. music was like an incredible, um, I guess to what I mean by how did music find you is like, how did, um, you know, how did it, find its way into your, you know, cellular makeup to where, mm. it, it, like, you knew that that was part of how you were going to express as an artist. You know, mm. what what was the moment that that happened? It wasn't really a moment. I think it was just the fact that I was saving all my money to buy a record every week. Um, and that sort of, my parents identified that music was my thing, you know, in the mm. household. Oh, music, it's her you know, and so they would buy me records if I asked them or, you know, I had, I had to wait Christmas to get my records or, you know, that sort of thing. Uh, so I remember really identifying with, you know, trying to teach people about it as well. <laughs> a bit annoying. Be like, you know, this is like, you know, um, this is great because of that. I was doing tapes with my sister. I think I always wanted to be, it was the idea of stage as well, but it wasn't theater, but it was, you know, cause I was used to theater, but it was sort of similar, but my own thing in a way, I'd say. Mm. 
performance. Now yeah. your um, music is, um, you said you were desperate to start your own rock band but couldn't find anybody initially before you went to college and met Johnny and um, you, how, I mean, it feels like you are actively, adamantly fighting the idea of a certain genre in your music. You, mm. you know, you say rock band and obviously there's heavy rock influence, but you seem to jump from, you know, from chorus to bridge, it goes from rock to almost not folk. There's like this soul, this mm. whole other like storytelling element. Mm. And I don't know, can you speak to that a little bit? Yeah. Um, I definitely think I'm a singer who doesn't want to be attached to a genre. And I think man, this record was a way to just, um, not be enslaved to like punk rock and to you know how savages have been you know defined that way which i think was great um because i love everything about savages and i'm so proud of everything we've done and um but i think this record i always knew i wanted to make an eclectic record because also that's the i'm an eclectic listener and um especially after two years of doing radio show on beats one i every week listening to new music and you know i suddenly got caught up in that sort of of what my peers were doing you know and in a way before that i had been a bit fenced in and didn't really really pay attention as much as when i was actively every week had to put out you know we had me and johnny were putting in playlists of new music constantly and it changed my life like literally <laughs> just it was almost like i had those sort of fences and went away and and then I discovered like records like Kendrick Lamar uh, to Pimp Butterfly and then um, the Beyonce record, the eponymous uh, record that came out in 2013. And those two records in a way um, were so inspiring because they were free uh, in the music uh, genre. Uh, you know, Kendrick, like mixing jazz and hip hop and it was it was such a, also a narrative and a journey in the record with different voices coming in it's very multi-dimensional i mean i needed so many listens to get into this record and it reminded me that's the kind of records i love and um and the beyonce record was i never listened to beyonce ever before and after either actually <laughs> but I thought this record was really interesting because there was a lot of in underground producers involved in it like Boots and, and the song Haunted there's like three songs in a song you know it's sort of changes completely at some point it becomes a like piano ballad and after that it's a heavy beat on your face and I'm like what is this and it felt so liberating and it was breaking the structures of you know songwriting mm -hmm. um, and it was pop and suddenly I could be part of popular culture. You know, I always grew up as being the, listening to underground music and suddenly, um, you know, um, if, if Kendrick Lamar was headlining Coachella, I would go and see him, you know? And, and, and uh, I felt, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I know, but, but it was new for me because I felt suddenly I was, it was nice to feel like I was part of something that was happening and I was big and I was, you know, um, so I don't know what, where I was going with that. No, you were talking about playlisting and that you discovered those artists through your radio show. Kind of, right? And genre yeah. bending and genre bending. Right. 
that's where it came. yeah i think i think those artists like um, sort of broke the sort of structures and same way as before if you were a singer it was like um, you had to, it was confusing if you were doing different things and now I think it's the same for music it's like if you're you can genre, shift genres and, and I think it's more appreciated it's more just you know people are more especially young people with the way they stream music and maybe you know there's it's less clicky it's more mm-hmm. there's more openness and I feel that suits my personality better Obviously, we're going to be sharing one of your videos and songs at the end of this episode um, and making this whole episode about you because we just think you're awesome and your new record. Thank you. So beautiful. Thank you, guys. What you do for art is inspiring. So thank you for being multi-platform and picking all kinds of interesting ways into the creative and sharing it with with everyone else. Um, so in regard to your music, since we're going to close the show with that, um, is there anything you want to share with our audience about your record or this song in particular? I wrote Innocence when I was um, feeling isolated <laughs> uh, in a city, just moved to Paris and I felt, um, I felt a feeling of um, you know, disconnection with the rest of the human race. And I was quite angry. It's <laughs> um, a sort of a um, disgust, you know, um, with um, with with um, with the world and with with people. And this sort of, I needed to spit out like some kind of like frustration and anger about <laughs> the rest of humanity and the feeling of. I don't have, I don't want to have nothing to do with you. And then the chorus is sort of whatever I become, like is living in the city just turns your heart so cold. Like, you know, so there was this idea of proximity with people, but the impossibility to feel empathy or to feel anything for them. And, and I felt that quite a lot and, and I was quite ashamed about it, but then for, I'm going to start the record with that because that's the sort of, that's the beginning that we start in the dark place in a place where it's, it feels frustrating and, and closed and, um, and then the record's going to open up and, and try to find solutions, remedies to that issue. <laughs> but I thought the same way you build a novel, you know, you have to start with the most shameful thought and, and build from there, you know, so but not try to hide that and be like perfect <laughs> no there are things i think sometimes that i'm not make very proud of but i it's putting them on the table and then growing from them which makes them go away thank you thank you so much i can't wait to see thank you so show. much love you sissy thank you so thank you so nice. much thank you so much you. it was really really nice to meet you yeah, My same pleasure. here. Thanks, Thanks for your time. Sharing. Take care. Is it living in the city? Is it living in the city? Oh, is it living in the city? Yeah, is it living in the city? I don't ask you anything I never talk to you So don't ask me anything You know nothing about me There's a hole in my chest I swear I threw up in my
space that highlights and empowers all artists for whom radical creativity is not a choice but a necessity. Launch Left begins with music, but its ultimate aim is to launch left-of-center artists in all creative fields. 